Good morning, GRX, and happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) One of the reasons we're sitting here in round tables is because we're going to enjoy food together afterwards. And I'm pretty excited today because of what I see sort of over here. You might not be able to see it if you're on that side of the room, but what it says up here is Happy Father's Day. And then down on the bottom there, it says free root beer floats. And so we're going to be able to join that together and enjoy that and have some fellowship together. But because it's Father's Day, and because we're here gathered around the Word of God, the passage that I'd like to share about actually is a famous passage that Jesus speaks about and teaches about, and it gives us an insight into fatherhood. It's a passage that points to fatherhood. And you'll know this story if you know your Bible. It's about two sons and about his father. And what's incredible about this story is that if you look at the story from the perspective of the two sons, you see that it's, an, that it's a study about human nature, about who we are as humans, who we are as people. If you look at the story from the perspective of the sons, but if you look at this story from the perspective of the father, It's a study about the nature of God. It's a study of the nature of God himself. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at this parable, this great teaching of Jesus. And we're going to see what do we learn about the human nature from the perspective of the sons? What do we learn about the nature of God from the perspective of the Father? And then I'm going to bring it home for us by asking this question. What does this parable tell us? Why does this parable for us matter at GRX? What does this have to do with us here at GRX? So if you have your Bibles, you can, if you want, turn to Matthew, um, turn to Luke, excuse me, Luke chapter 15. It's also going to be on the slide. But what I could invite, what I invite you to do today is it's a story. It's a parable. And sometimes looking at the words can distract us from the actual story, from the movement of it. So what I do invite you to do today is if you might be distracted by the words and all that kind of stuff, I would invite you to listen to this in the way that Jesus' first listeners would have heard this and the way that the early church would hear it. And that is that you have someone telling it or you have someone reading it and then other people are just listening. You're just listening. So that's how Jesus' disciples would have heard this. This is how the early church would have heard it. Not through electronic devices, not through Bibles, not through iPhones or whatever you got, not through PowerPoint. The original hearers would have just heard it and let the story come over them. So I invite you, if you want to do that, you can just listen and let the story come over you. This is the word of God. This is the story that Jesus tells. And he said, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son 
gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And then here the story moves into its conclusion, its last portion. Now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. The older son was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son, when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that's the story that Jesus tells. That's the story that Jesus tells about these two sons, an older son and a younger son, 
and then a father. So what does that tell us? What does that show us about human nature? What do we see? What can we understand? What can we learn about the sons? The younger son, when we look at the younger son, the younger son is the rebelliousness of human nature. The younger son is outwardly lost. He's pretty easy to pick up. He asks for his inheritance from his father. I mean, he just goes to his dad and he goes, you know, dad, you know, I know you're going to die one of these days. I know you're going to kick the bucket one of these times. And then, and then me and my brother, we're going to split the inheritance. Well, I know, I, I know the inevitable is coming. So what I'd really like to do is uh, I'd like to get a little bit of that right now. I think you can put a little sauce on my life. You can give me a little cash. I think I'd like mine now because that's going to happen anyway. And so what he does is he is essentially saying, Dad, I wish you'd be dead because what I really want is some change in my pocket and I really want to go out and find my way in the world. I want to do things my way. I mean, your house was okay. I like living here, but really I want to be my own person. I want to find my own way. I want to do my own thing. And I'm going to find everything I'm looking for out there. But what we see happens in his life is that when he goes out in the world and he lives the life that he thinks he wants to live, he gets lost out there. And he spends all that he has and then a famine comes up and then he comes to himself and he realizes, man, me doing things my way apart from the Father, that's not really a good way to go. And he comes back and then he realizes that his Father can take him back. Now his story is a story of tragedy. It's sort of the classic sort of lost story that's out in the world. It's that story where someone just goes out there and just trashes their life. They, in, they endure all this kind of suffering. And it's kind of actually a life to be pitied. It's sort of a self-induced kind of suffering. But then they turn back to God. And that is the cool kind of dramatic conversion story. And maybe you've heard some of these before. It's the story of the guy who was the drug addict and his life totally bottomed out and then he found Jesus and then he came back. He's a person who totally was selfish. He lived completely for himself or herself and then their life was total disaster and then they turned around and they found Jesus and they came back. It's like the gang member in the inner city who grew up getting all these tattoos and stealing cars and gang banging. And then he finds Jesus and he finds that, man, regardless of everything I've done in my past, Jesus loves me and forgives me. And that's one whole aspect of human nature. But for me, and maybe this is your story, there's this whole other side of human nature that I find particularly interesting. And that's with the older son. I mean, the younger son is lost outwardly and rebellious. But for me, that wasn't my story. 
I wasn't rebellious. I didn't have any tattoos. I didn't sell. Yeah, no tattoos. I'm gonna show you guys. Now, I'm not, now, oh man, can we delete that out of the podcast? That is so bad. Why do I say these things? But no, I've never stolen any cars, or you know, I didn't bottom out my life that way. But my life, I grew up, and I went off to college. You know, I'm really intrigued by the older son, and this is a whole other way to look at human nature. When I look at the older son, I think that the older son is not outwardly lost in the world. He's following all the rules. He's doing what he's supposed to do. He's taking care of business. He's being obedient. He's doing all the things. When I look at the older son, I see a lostness in the older son that's not out there in the world. I see a lostness in the older son that's in here and that's in here in my mind and in my heart what do you do if you've lived a life and you've never done anything wrong what do you do if you've never done anything wrong how do you then come to the father See, this is this whole other side of human nature. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you know this. There's one whole side of Christianity that's, you know, we're brokenness and in our sin and all this kind of stuff, and Jesus forgives us. That's the younger son. But what about the older son? What if you grew up your whole life in the church and you never did anything wrong and you were obedient and you followed the rules and you did everything? That's the older son. Then where is the father's love for the older son? See, check this out. The older son says this, I have never disobeyed you. He's never done anything wrong. And all these years, I've served you. Now, if you look at that really closely, what it says is, all these years, I've slaved for you. And that begins to give us insight into why the older son is lost in his heart and in his mind. Because even though the older son does all the things he's supposed to do, and even though he's never disobeyed the father, he's lost in his heart and his mind because he's trying to earn the father's love. By being good, by following the rules, by slaving, and doing all this stuff that he thinks the father wants him to do, He's trying to earn the love. And I think if you go a little bit further down that road, I think one of the reasons he's so angry at the son is because he's really wanting the same thing that the son got. I think he's really wanting the stuff from the father. See, do you notice that? He said, all these years I've slaved for you and you never even gave me a goat and sometimes I wonder, sometimes I, I look out in the world and I look at people that have been good and following, so, and I'm like, I wonder if they look at all the people that have been bad and go, man, I want that. God, I've been following you, I've been good, I've been following the rules, but I want that. Because my life, what do I get by following you? 
What do I get? But the father says, hey, hey, it's not about what you get. It's about our relationship. You know, this story kind of puts a point on this of, you know, doing stuff outwardly that looks good, but maybe inwardly our heart's not right in the right place. There's a story, and it goes a little bit like this. There once was a king. As a king, he had a big kingdom, and he had a lot of people that were subjects in his kingdom. And there was one day that there was a guy, and he was a farmer. And this farmer, he's tending his land, and he grew this really big carrot. It was a really cool carrot. It was super big. And this farmer that grew this carrot thought, man, this is such an awesome carrot. This is so cool. I'm going to go give it to the king. I am so pleased with myself. I am so glad. And he goes and he takes it and he goes, king, I love you. I love our kingdom. And I grew this really big carrot. And so I'm going to just give it to you. And the king looks at the guy and he goes, thank you for your gift of generosity. You know the land that you have? I'm going to double your land. So now you can have twice as much land to grow stuff there. I know you love growing. And I know you love the kingdom. I know you love me. And I know you love carrots. <laughs> while he was doing this and while it was going on in his court, there was another guy. And he raised horses. And he overheard that and he goes, oh man, that's pretty cool. The king must be feeling pretty generous. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get one of my horses and then I'm going to give it to the king and the king's going to like give me more stables. It's going to increase my land. So he goes home and he goes, gets his horse. That's a nice horse. And he brings it back and he goes, oh, king, I got this horse for you. It's so great. It's beautiful. And I just want you to have it. And so, so the king takes the horse And he says, thank you. And then he walks away. (laughs) And the horse guy is going, what? What? And so he starts going like, what? What? He's kind of talking to people in the court. He's like, how come I didn't get more stables? And the king, who's got a great set of ears, he turns around and he says, the guy who grew the carrot gave for me. But when you gave your horse, you gave for yourself. When I look at the older son in this story, and I read back to why he was so angry, I think he was so angry because he slaved away all that time he was not disobedient all that time. Not for, him, not, for, not for God, not for the Father, but for himself. Because he was wanting something for himself. But see, here's the good news. The Father loves both the sons. He loves both the sons. See, check out what the Father does. 
The father loves the son who was wayward. Even though he had squandered everything that the son gave him, he brought the son back. He forgave the son. He received him back. He forgave him. And we're familiar with that. That's the unconditional love that the God pours out on us. He pours out on all that. Because God's not concerned about the stuff. The Father's not concerned about the stuff. He's concerned that his son is back. The son who was dead to him is alive again. The son that he had no relationship with, he now has relationship with. And that's the beauty and the good news of the younger son. But what about the older son? What about the older son? The older son refuses to go into the party. The older son stands outside the party. And that as well is a sign of brokenness, broken relationship. And the father doesn't wait for the son to come in. The father goes out to the son. The father goes out to the son and goes and meets him where he is. Now, in the first century, when Jesus' hearers would have heard this, they would have recognized that any time somebody throws a big party like this, the host has to stay in with where the party is. The father who's throwing this party needs to stay in where all his guests are. And in fact, it would be shaming, so shaming on the family and on the father that the older son would refuse to go into this party. I mean, I think sort of the modern day equivalent would be something like this, that in a wedding, you could imagine a big wedding, and the parents of the bride and groom are there in the party, and then one of the siblings, the bride or groom, refuses to go in. I mean, that would be incredibly shaming on the family. But then if you imagine that wedding ceremony going on and everyone's partying, then imagine the father of the bride leaving that party, leaving all those guests to go out to where that sibling is and inviting and entreating and begging them to come into the party. He says, all that I have is yours. But this son of mine who was dead is now alive and we now have relationship. But now I've come out to where you are too. I've come out to where you are too to bring you into the party. Won't you come in? Won't you come in too? You know, there's a there's a danger here for us. There's a bit of a pitfall for some of us that are here in the church. That sometimes we can be kind of wrapped up in all the stuff that we're doing and all the kind of stuff that we're serving and all the kind of stuff that we are giving over to God. But there's a bit of a danger that sometimes we can be serving and giving and serving and giving and serving and giving. And we begin to kind of lose sight 
that God wants a loving relationship with you. And maybe sometimes all the giving and the loving that we do and the caring that we do can sometimes even distract us from the very fact that God says, hey, you know, the serving is okay, but what I really want is you. What I really want is to love you. I'm not really worried about the stuff. I'm not even really worried about what you can do for me or for the kingdom or for the church. What I really want is you. Will you come into the party and will you party with us? Will you receive my love? Will you be with us? And so this is what we see in the human nature. The younger son is lost. The younger son is lost out there, lost out there in the world doing stuff that's not good for him. And the older son is lost in his mind, thinking he's got to do all this stuff for the father. They're both lost. They've both lost relationship. But the father, in both cases, goes to both sons and brings them back, brings them back into community. And here we have the very character of the Father, the very character of the nature of God himself. It's a character of compassion. It's a character of invitation. It's the character of community that wants to draw all people together. The Father wants relationships with us. And the Father wants to be in relationship with each person. He invites us, like He invites the sons, to be with Him. So then why does this matter for us? Why does this matter for us here at GRX? Why is this story, this invitation that the Father invites us into to be the community with other believers. Why does this matter for us here at GRX? It's the month of June. And for me, the month of June is a pretty significant time. Because for me, it was one year ago, this month, that I came, was called by this community, brought into this community to be your pastor. And in this year, and in these last 12 months, I've been walking with you, listening to the story of GRX, praying, talking, hearing. What is God wanting us to be about? I'm going to share something with you that I hope we're able to hear that for me feels a little bit risky to share, but I think it's true, and I think being here at the one-year mark, I think it's okay to say. A lot of times when I listen to us at GRX and I hear our story, every once in a while I hear a phrase that comes up 
that talks about something about GRX when GRX was in its heyday. When GRX was in its heyday. And, and I say this out of love for us, and I say this out of love as your pastor. And if, if you don't know what, quite what that term means, what I've come to understand that term means is that there was a season in the life of this community, in GRX, when it was about 800 people, about 800 adults. And sometimes when I talk with people, I hear people uh, referring to that time and going, man, in GRX, when it was in its heyday, it had 800 people, blah, 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 blah. And they talk about it. And I think some people talk about that time. And I even hear sometimes when I, talk, when I hear people talk about that, I hear even a bit of a longing for people to return to that time. Return to the past glory of GRX in its heyday. Well, I have something to share with you now one year on. There's a glory that I want us to get to. There is a glory that I want us to get to. But it's not the glory of GRX. It's the glory of G-O-D. I'm wanting us to glorify God with how we are as a community. I'm wanting us to glorify our Lord Jesus Christ with who we are. Not by who we are in the past, but who we are now. We can be thankful to God for the past. And certainly, we can be grateful for all that God has done and for the leadership that God has given to this church and for the people that have sown among us and have discipled us. We can give thanks to God for that. But we can also look forward to the glory of God and the glory that God wants to bring to himself through who we are and to who this community is. So in this year, as I've been talking with people here and looking at what would bring the glory of God to this place and to this community, there have been four things that have emerged when I think about who GRX is and what GRX is about. And if you went to our retreat together, this will be familiar to you because we touched on some of these. And LT, we've been talking about these. And staff for months, we've been talking about these. Four themes, four identity markers, four ends, if you will, of what GRX is about. And I'm going to go through these things really quickly here, really quickly. But there are four things that I think are vital for what GRX is about. And the first thing is Jesus the second is community. The third is healing. And the fourth is service. Jesus. The first thing is about Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which we are saved. Jesus Christ is the reason that we are here. That we and who we are in our own places and in our own ways and in our own faith journey, that we would live under the love and under the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
that we would each, like each of the sons, have a saving relationship, an authentic relationship with God our Father. That's what we're going for here. That's why we meet every week. That's why we're here for Jesus, that we would grow and become more mature and deepen our discipleship with Jesus Christ. There's no other name by which we're saved. That's why we're here. That's why GRX exists, because of Jesus Christ. At GRX, what else are we about? We're also about community, because God is about community. In the prodigal son story, he's all about community. He doesn't care about where you're from. He doesn't care if you've squandered all your money. He doesn't care if you've lived your whole life following all the rules. God cares about drawing people into community with himself and with one another. That's why he goes to the older son and says, won't you come into the party? That's what we're doing. We're drawing people into community. We're drawing people together. We're drawing people into community. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're about. You know, it's been an interesting week for me this week and over the past couple of weeks. Something that happens when you're, when you're a pastor and you arrive in a church and you hit the one-year mark, there's this thing that happens and it's called, it's a deep theological term when you hit the one-year mark, it's called the, the honeymoon is over mark. <laughs> That's what happens. And we've hit that. We've hit that mark. For the past week, past few weeks, past month, I've been having a couple of conversations, a few conversations, several. And on the one hand, they're pretty hard. And on the other hand, they are very honest. And I am incredibly grateful for those honest conversations. For those honest conversations. Because we can get past the honeymoon and the misconceptions, and we can get on with being the church together. Now, one of the things that particularly touched me, and, and I kind of suspected this is true, but it was, it was verified, and, and I just am so thankful that this was shared to me in honesty. Sometimes when a lead pastor comes into a new church, sometimes, and especially given what GRX has gone through, what can subtly happen with a church and especially with a story and a community like GRX, is that when a new pastor comes in, there can be sort of a subliminal hope, sort of an expectation that begins to creep up that this person who comes is going to be the Messiah. (laughs) See, I am the second pastor the second lead pastor at GRX. But I don't want the second pastor to be confused with the second coming. (laughs) I am not the Messiah. I am not Jesus. All you have to do is ask my family. (laughs) I am not. I am a human being. All right? 
but we're human beings, all right? But what I'm so grateful is that honeymoon's over, that honesty can begin to enter in, and at honest, at core, you need to have that kind of honesty to build that kind of community. And that authentic community, that's what we're about. That's what we're about. So we're about Jesus here. We're about community. We're about authentic community here. And then we're about healing. We are about healing here. Because if you're a community that's about Jesus, you're a community that's about healing. Because Jesus was about healing. It's not just healing of relationships that are out there. Part of the beauty of being the church together is that we can even experience healing among ourselves, even one another. Even if all of us were holy saints, we would still trouble each other, hurt each other, annoy each other. But we can practice healing in relationships here. Some of you might know this author. I've been reading this guy. His name's Thomas Merton. He's a Trappist monk. He lived in a monastery for decades out in Kentucky area. He's done a lot of writing, seven-story mountain, no man is an island. But he is a man that's a great Christian leader, a great man of prayer, and a great thinker. And he lived in a monastery. Right? You think people in a monastery are really holy. This is what he said about being in community and the kind of healing that needed to happen even as he lived among these other Christian brothers. I think it's going to be up here on the slide. There it is. Thomas Merton said this, As long as we are on earth, the love that unites us will bring us suffering by our very contact with one another. I mean, isn't this true? Isn't it the people that we love most are the people that sometimes hurt us the deepest? I think that's what Merton's getting at. As long as we're on earth, as long as we're on earth, the love that unites us will bring us suffering by our very contact with one another. Because of this, and I love this about Merton, because of this, love is the resetting of a body of broken bones. Even saints cannot live with saints on this earth without some anguish, without some pain, at the difference that come between them. But love is the resetting of a body of broken bones. I love that. And I hope that among us, that love would be that which resets us when there's brokenness. That's the healing. And then the last thing I want to say is this that GRX is also about service. Caring for others. Reaching out beyond ourselves and going to the other. That's what the father did when he saw the son from a long way off and then he ran to him and embraced him. That's what the father did when the older son was outside. The father reached out and across to him to bring him back into the party. He went from his one place and went out to someplace else. This happens all the time here at GRX. One of the places that that shows up 
is in a ministry that we participate in called City Team. And I was talking with a couple of the people that are on the City Team group from GRX. And what City Team is, if you don't know it, it's a ministry that reaches out to the people that are homeless in the South Bay. And not this Saturday, but next Saturday, a team from GRX, we're going to have an opportunity to go and to serve food and to connect with them. Now, this is the thing that we were talking about this morning, how difficult it is to go from our place of comfort and our friends that are familiar and to reach out to touch and to listen to and to serve and to connect with someone who's homeless. Let me be honest, it's uncomfortable. It's hard to reach out from where we are and where we're safe to go to somewhere else. And what I love about this team, we talked about it, is courage. The courage to say, I don't feel like I totally know how to do this, but I want to do this because this is what God is about. And so if you want to join us, we're going to go do this not this Saturday, but next Saturday, June 28th. But we're not just going to go out there and do it. We're going to actually do some training. We're going to actually do some equipping before we go do it. Because it's kind of scary. Because it's kind of scary to talk with homeless people. So if you can join us June 28th, we're going to be at the ministry center at 10 o'clock, and we're going to do a little training. And we're going to prepare And we're going to practice. How do you talk to a homeless person? And then later that day, we're going to go do it and talk to homeless people. Why do we do that? Because God comes and reaches across the divide to reach us. But GRX is not only just about city team. There's about all kinds of things. If you think about GRX and the things that we've done, This past year, we spent November building shoeboxes with Samaritan's Purse and putting children's school supplies together and packing up all these shoeboxes that are going to get sent all over the world so that people would receive gifts in Jesus' name. If you were around in January, a bunch of us went out to Fresno to do a mission project there called Gleanings. There was a bunch of men in a men's group that participated in Compassion Weekend where 20 people went out and served by putting together food and food packets. And then probably one of our largest service events of the year is just the team that we prayed for, Vacation Bible School. We're going to have 130 kids. We're going to be out Not here. We're going to be out at Ponderosa, out in the community, telling kids and telling adults about Jesus, serving out there in Jesus' name. And as GRX, we all participate in that serving. Whether you're an on-the-ground volunteer in VBS or not, if GRX is your home church, You participate alongside the team in serving because you are on the team. When you pray for the team, you're on the team. When you give through your tithes and your offerings 
so that we take that money and spend it for VBS. You're on the team. When you encourage the team, you're on the team. And that's why I look at GRX and say GRX is about serving and about service. Because that's what the Father was about. The Father was about loving other people. It says that God shows his love for us. Not that we loved God first, but that God first loved us. And God went to us. See, this is our home. This is our home. These are our people. These are your people. These are your peeps. Right? This is our home. A people about Jesus, about community, about healing, about service. Not for our own glory, but for God's glory. Because ultimately, God is about welcoming people into his home. The father welcomes both sons back into his home. Both sons were welcomed home. And that's what we can do. That's our call, to welcome people into this home, GRX. That's the good news, that God welcomes us home. God welcomes us home. Let me pray for us.